before or the night of, the Lord would pass over as the Israelites would, you know, on the 10th day of Nisan, they would find that lamb and it would have to be without spot or blemish. And then they would hold that lamb uh, for four days, basically a pet. And then on the 14th day of Nisan, that lamb would be uh, slaughtered for sacrifice. So all of that foreshadows the lamb of God. And so if we look at these Jewish religious leaders, they are essentially inspecting the Lamb of God. They're looking for blemish. They're looking for fault. And as we know, there was no and is no fault in Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God. And they ask this question, and this has drove me to for, this, for these 19 verses. My plan was to get through the whole chapter, but this Jewish religious leaders asking Jesus, by what authority do you do these things? It's mind-boggling to me that they, the teachers of Israel, the leaders of Israel, would be asking the very Messiah, by what authority? You see, his life showed that he had authority to do these things. Jesus healed the sick. He raised the dead. He delivered the demon-possessed. He calmed the sea. He fed the multitudes, and we could go on and on and on. But Jesus, his life demonstrated that he was indeed the Messiah. And as he forgave sins, it shows that the Lamb of God was God. Again, we remember that Jesus is our Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I love how our Peter in the scriptures, you know, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 18 through 21, and how under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit said this, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I love Peter. You know, that mouthy fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, always sticking his foot in his mouth. But then, as he began to teach the early church, he got it. We weren't redeemed with anything but the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And of course, This is significant, again, as these Jewish religious leaders would be inspecting Jesus. So they ask him the question, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who is he who gave you this authority? And Jesus, his answer, his answers were always perfect to the Jewish religious leaders. And he said this, but he answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Now, 
as we see Jesus answering with this question to them, we have to understand Jesus wasn't, wasn't shying away from their question. He's not running from it. Check out John 14.10. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus announced where he received his authority. This wasn't a trick question or, uh, for them. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. It's pretty clear, right? It's pretty clear where his authority came from. And yet we have these Jewish, Jewish religious leaders asking him about his authority. And so Jesus is saying here, if John the Baptist is from God, then the things in which he said and the things which he did are from God. And then we have to think, well, we understand the baptism of repentance of John the Baptist, but what kind of things did he say that pointed to Jesus as being the Messiah? Well, let's look at John chapter 1, verse 29 through 34. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and remained upon him. I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so John the Baptist, that was his role in the ministry, right? Pointing people to Jesus as the Messiah. So as Jesus asked this question of them, these Jewish religious leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, and verse 5 says, And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. Now this is interesting. Again, a phrase. They reasoned with themselves. Right there is not good thing. Man always gets in trouble when he reasons among themselves. It's evident that the Jewish religious leaders, they weren't interested in the truth. They were interested in what they believed, their, their belief system, what they thought of God. And isn't that so true today? That man reasons in his own mind, or with other elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ, of what they think about God. And this gets man into trouble. For instance, how must man be saved? Well, man's most basic answer to that is, well, you've got to be a good person. You've got to hope that your good works outweigh your bad. Now, what kind of God does that? Who judges the good works? Because 
without the Holy Spirit in my life, the things that I do, and without Christ in my life, the things that I do, are they're going to always seem good. But Paul t- taught, again under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church at Colossae, that they were dead in their sins and they were hostile toward God. And that's true of every one of us before we came to Christ. Even in our good deeds, we were hostile toward God. And we reasoned in our own minds, didn't we? Remember before you got saved? Man, I thought even when I started going to church, you know, I had the mindset, this is a good thing. I can help this church do some things, you know. And uh, that was not the case. (laughs) Not until I came to the Lord. But see, that's man's reasoning. We put ourselves above God. And we think that we do so much for God. We think that we are good people. And the truth of it is, we're sinners. And God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for our sin. But what's interesting here, too, is that as they say this, they understand that they have a dilemma. If they say that John the Baptist is from God or from heaven, then the answer would be, well, why don't you follow God? Why don't you understand that Jesus is the Messiah? And if you say that he is not, well, good luck with the crowd, (laughs) because they believe that John was a prophet. But listen to this answer, these intellectual religious leaders of the day. So they answered that they did not know where it was from. They didn't know. Again, it comes down as they reason among themselves that they were not interested in the truth, not interested in the things of God. If Jesus said his authority was the Messiah, he would have been in trouble with Rome. If Jesus would have said that he had no authority, Jesus would be in trouble with the Jews for invading their temple. And so there's a dilemma. And verse 8, Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And again, it's interesting. Why would Jesus answer in such a way? Well, it goes back to they weren't interested in the truth. And I think this provides for you and I a good example of when we witness to people, when they don't recognize the authority of Jesus, if they're just distant from, uh, you know, the things of God and where they just want to argue and debate, it's time to wash our hands and let God do a work in their heart. Let him do it. This reminded me as I was um, going over this, uh, right after I got saved, I was witnessing at my job. It was uh, probably several months after I got saved. And um, there was an agnostic uh, that I worked with and then another fellow who was a very devout Catholic. And so the question came up during our break time, well, did Jesus ever declare that he was God? You know, one of them, just the questions you just love to, you know, to be asked, you know, because it's, it's a headline for non-believers. Well, did Jesus ever declare that he was God? Well, he didn't say those words, but it's implied throughout the Gospels that he did declare himself as God. 
And so as I was sharing with this agnostic who, you know, claimed that he didn't know if there was a God, it started to get a little bit heated, not with me and him, but with this other guy. And before you know it, this is no exaggeration, they were face-to-face arguing about this. And I'm just sitting there like, what'd I do, you know? We cannot, or we're not called to win arguments. We're not called to win debates. We're called to be light to the world. We're called to be a witness. And Jesus here provides a great example for us. When people aren't truly interested in the truth, we have to let God work in their hearts. And sometimes that's a difficult thing. Again, it's so relevant in our day that people are not interested in the truth. In fact, in our culture, we live in a postmodern world or post-truth world where truth can be whatever you say it is. Your truth might not be my truth. And a society, a culture, cannot live out that belief. And that is exactly what we're seeing in the world today. Now, Jesus doesn't answer them to where his authority came from, but then he gives this parable of the vine dressers or the parable of the vineyard owner. Let's read this parable, beginning in verse 9. Then he began to tell the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to vine dressers, and went into a far country for a long time. Now at vintage time he sent a servant to the vine dressers, that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent another servant, and they beat him also, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And again he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Very interesting here. Jesus shares this parable. And remember, a parable is an earthly story giving a heavenly meaning. And one important thing to know that throughout the Old Testament, vineyards referred to Israel. Look at um, Isaiah chapter 5, 1 through 7. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with choices fine. He built a tower in its midst. He also made a wine press in it, so he expected it to bring forth good grapes. But it brought forth wild grapes, and now inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah. Judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I had not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. 
I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. So Isaiah 5 tells us of this vineyard referring to Israel. And then Psalm 80, verses 8 through 19. Again, this is important connecting to this parable that Jesus gave. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root, and it filled the land. The hills were covered with its shadow, and the mighty cedars with its boughs. She sent out her boughs to the sea and her branches to the river. Why have you broken down her hedges? so that all who pass by the way pluck her fruit? The boar out of the woods uproots it, and the wild beast of the field devours it. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see, and visit this vine, and the vineyard which your right hand has planted, and the branch that you made strong for yourself. It is burned with fire, it is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the Son of Man, whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn back from you. Revive us, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. And so just these two passages of Scripture, we see Israel referred to as a vineyard, and that God desired fruit to come from the vineyard. And in this parable of the vine dressers, we see it is God who planted the vineyard, and the vineyard represents Israel. And then we have the vine dressers, or some translations might say farmers. That refers to the religious leaders of Israel. The servants here in the parable, uh, the servants of the owner speak of the prophets, and, of course, the son or the heir is referring to Jesus Christ. And so God the Father allowed the vine dressers to care for the land. They were to bring forth fruit. This is referring to the Jewish religious leaders. They had the role of leading people to God to bring forth or to produce good fruit. But we see throughout the Old Testament the servants or the prophets of God who came and were beaten and oftentimes killed. We see this throughout the Old Testament. As the Jewish religious leaders would, the priests, they would go sideways. They would go a different direction. They tried to worship God and worship false gods at the same time. Therefore, that would lead the people away from God. And then God would send prophets to, to speak to, from God to the people the need to repent. But yet Israel shook their fist at the prophets, shook their fist at God. And it's inter interesting, even in the New Testament with Stephen in, in Acts chapter 7, of how he alludes to this. If we look at Acts chapter 7, verse 51 through 53, listen to what he said here. Right before he was to die for his faith, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Well, that's not language you hear every day, is it? You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. 
which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. What a charge against the Jewish religious leaders coming from Stephen who was before them, who risked his life and he lost his life because he spoke truth. So as Jesus shares this parable, it's very clear that these Jewish religious leaders knew exactly what Jesus was saying. And they said, and when they heard it, they said, certainly not. And that's interesting. It's interesting that as they asked Jesus by what authority he did the things that he did, or who is the one who gave him authority, it's authority that the Jewish religious leaders struggled with. You see, they thought they had authority. They thought they were so righteous before God. And we have to ask the question, why would they do that? Would they certainly be happy if they truly knew that the Messiah was before them? The one who had been prophesied, the one in whom they were waiting on to fulfill God's word that they held up in their hearts and minds? They didn't. Did you catch what Jesus said here of them? After sending his son, referring to Jesus, this is the heir, come, let us kill him, and that the inheritance may be ours. The Pharisees and all the Jewish religious, the scribes, the chief priests, they were all about having their own authority, their own direction. They wanted to lead the people. They wanted to be above the people. They weren't about God's truth. Their attitude we see in John chapter 11, verse 47 and 48. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do for this man, referring to Jesus? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. What if everybody believed in the Messiah? Praise God, hallelujah, revival in Jerusalem or in Israel. But that's not their hearts. They were more concerned about Rome coming in and distorting the kingdom that they had built. They understood what Jesus was saying. And they also understood about giving the vineyard to another. And that's referring to the Gentiles. And that too cut them to the heart. In verse 17, Jesus said, and if you can picture this, mind you, they're, they're ready to do away with Jesus. They have absolutely had it with him. And he looks right at him and he says, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Very interesting. Jesus quoted only verse 22 of Psalm 118. And we remember what Psalm 118 is. It talks about, you know, 
the Messiah coming into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, the triumphal entry. This is the day that the Lord has made. But Jesus quotes this scripture, and this scripture is part of all that. And it's a reminder, the very foundation of our faith is pointed to Jesus. But in that, again, these Jewish religious leaders, they would have understood exactly what Jesus was saying. Letting them know that the foundation that they had was off. And there's much more stories about the chief cornerstone. But the chief cornerstone for you and I is Jesus Christ. The foundation of Christianity is Jesus Christ. His death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection three days later. The point Jesus is making is that the builders, these religious leaders, they've rejected the Messiah. They rejected the chief cornerstone. And the builders here, as they rejected him, again, formed their own idea. They had their own mindset of the Messiah. The Jewish religious leaders had an authority issue with Jesus. Verse 18 says, Whoever falls on the stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Interesting language. Again, these religious leaders knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He was speaking of them. He's telling them that those who would fall upon the rock, those who would fall upon Jesus, those who would be broken of self-will, broken of pride, those who would repent would be saved. On the other hand, those who reject Jesus, reject the chief cornerstone, the stone would crush them. And essentially, that's exactly what we have. Those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work at the cross shall be saved. There's no other name under heaven by which man must be saved. Jesus said, truly, truly, you must be born again in order to enter into the kingdom of God. He talks about Jesus being the perfect lamb of God. It's all about Jesus because the issue is the authority of God. I have chewed and I have, I have chewed the cud on that word authority. And I think it's fascinating for us as believers because there's much here. We might look at the Jewish religious leaders. Yeah, they had, a, they had authority issue with, with Christ. But think about this for you and I, this authority of Jesus. What about the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28? Fascinating. The last words recorded in Matthew, Jesus telling his disciples, telling you and I via the Holy Spirit, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Can we get verse 18 up there, too? I forgot to share verse 18. That's the authority word in that verse. (laughs) I'm sorry, Don. I can't just ever have a perfect time with the presentation of the Scriptures. But in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus said, He came and spoke to them, saying, 
all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What's that mean? Well, Jesus said what he meant. He means what he says. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. This speaks to the disciples, but this speaks to you and I as well. Jesus has given us his authority. We do business, the Father's business, until Christ comes because he has given us authority to do what? Well, to make disciples. That includes evangelism by going through all the nations, evangelizing, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to deserve all things that Jesus commanded. And because of his authority, we have him with us forever. He is with us, even to the end of the age. We have this authority to do the works of God. When I think of this, well, what exactly does this look like? Where are you going with this, Jim? Well, I think of the days that we're living in, where it seems like the cancel culture has one, oh, it's not seems, it is. They have an agenda. And you and I are part of their agenda. The church is part of the agenda. Cancel out Christianity and the world will be a much better place. But what's this look like for you and I when we think about the authority of Jesus to do the Father's business until he comes? Well, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Remember the time in Acts chapter 3 where it was Peter and John, they were headed to prayer, and then they saw this lame man, and Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, Look, pal, I don't have anything for you but Jesus Christ. And the man was healed. And then this gets Peter and John in trouble. Right? Remember? I'm going to have to paraphrase a lot here. But as we go to chapter 4, we know that Peter and John were arrested. They laid hands on them, put them in custody. And then let's pick up in verse 5 of Acts chapter 4. Mind you, the authority of God, the authority of Jesus. And it came to pass, in verse 5, and it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, that sounds familiar, as well as Honest, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, listen to this, by what power or by what name have you done this? That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Then Peter, oh, I love this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people, and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name 
of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That doesn't sound like Peter around the campfire with the girl that was scaring him half to death because he was filled with the Spirit. He was a new man, a new creation in Christ Jesus. In verse 13 it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. Now that's not saying that they were not smart. They were under, uh, you know, they recognized that they weren't, had, you know, they didn't have any religious training. I praise God for all ministry leaders that haven't been to, to cemetery. Um, you know, I stole that one. That's not original. But, you know, that are filled with the Spirit, just like Peter. He didn't need the formal training because, look, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Not only did Peter and John and the disciples walk with Jesus three plus years, that relationship continues. They were in one accord praying, receiving the Holy Spirit. God gave them boldness to share the word. And even in the midst of, you know, in the face of persecution, they had the boldness. And it goes on later on that they cannot not say anything about Jesus. And brothers and sisters, that's where we need to be today. We don't have an authority. I understand God has given us authority. I understand that God is authoritative over me. But this just doesn't happen. It's not just a matter of having in my mind. It's about having in my heart. And it only happens when I am connected with the Lord. Oh, the, the word authority when it comes to the believer. Yes, he has given us authority. But before we can walk in that authority, he has to have authority over our hearts, doesn't he? In Psalm 138, verse 23 and 24, it says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, know my burdens, know what all in my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's where Peter and John were. That's where the disciples were. That's where God wants you and I to be. What's that look like? How do we do that? How do we get to that place where we can, in the face of uh, trials and troubles in the world that we're facing, how can we have this boldness that we read of Peter? Well, I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah had the vision, the year that King Uzziah died, he had this vision of God. He saw God in the temple, the train of his robe, and he saw the glory of God in the vision. Holy, holy, When you and I make that conscious decision that I need God more than anything else, 
God brings us to himself and he shows us his holiness. His beauty, his majesty, his glory. Moses wanted to see God's glory. How did Moses get to that place? Well, he spent 40 days and 40 nights on a mountain hearing the heartbeat of God. That's where God wants you and I. It's amazing when, when the Holy Spirit, as we sang tonight in worship, when we acknowledge the presence all the time of God and His Holy Spirit and the Savior, that's worship. And when we acknowledge Him, He allows us to see like, like uh, Isaiah did. He saw the holiness of God. But you know what else he happened? Remember? Woe is me a man of unclean lips. When we are brought before the Holy God, God shows us who we are. He shows us what we are without him, but then he shows us who we are with him. And remember, after the seraphim came and the coal on his lips, a restoration, if you will. And remember Isaiah. Here I am, Lord, send me. When we desire for God to have all authority over us, he leads us for that upward call that we want God and nothing more. That leads to the inward call, an inward call leading us to holiness. I can't remember where I read it years ago, but you know, we get one life to live for Jesus. And then he's going to come when we're going to go to him. One life here on earth, that's it. The upward call, the inward call, and then the outward call. When we let God have authority over all of us, we will have a burden for God, for our own righteous walk with him, and most certainly for the lost. That's where God wants us. And I just want to encourage us that the most important thing is not who is president, who won the Super Bowl, but where are we with the Lord? Can we say in our own hearts, here I am, Lord, search me because I am giving you all authority. And God is so awesome when we submit to the leading of his Holy Spirit because he wants to bless us with his presence. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we, we're part of a vineyard now, Lord, that you call us to be the light in the world. You call us to be salt to the earth. You call us with the power of the Holy Spirit to bear witness of you, Lord Jesus. Father, I lift up the body of Christ at Calvary Chapel, Cincinnati. Lord, that you would continue to do a work in our hearts, that you would have authority over us, Lord, bringing us to that place 
where, Lord Jesus, you have complete rule as you are the king of our hearts. Father, help us to have the burdens that you have. Help us to demonstrate the love that you have demonstrated to us. And Lord Jesus, may the vineyard that you have us in produce great fruit for you, that the name above all names is glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You stand